What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another thrilling episode of Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine. Today we are talking about Deep Space Nine Season 2, Episode 25, Tribunal. It's an O'Brien Must Suffer episode. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing great. I, I love these. It's also our boy Avery Brooks' first time behind the camera, Keith. It sure is. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the memo that said wear a blue hoodie today. Uh-huh. That we uh-huh. both jumped on. I, I've got a zippy. It's not it's a I, I do have a blue hoodie right next to me, but I I didn't put it on. But our our colors match at least. We do. We are we're matchy match. Um mm-hmm. no, I'm excited. Uh this is a a good episode. I, I I really it's interesting because the companion did not think so like it didn't it didn't adjudicate it but it gave it like a couple paragraphs and sometimes they're pages long so that is usually i guess maybe they just didn't have a lot of behind the scenes info but yours truly only had one real nit to pick and we'll get into it so okay. let's uh let's I, I can't chat. wait to see yeah. what nits you pick it's gonna be uh it's gonna be something but you want to know who we would never pick or knit mm. because they are here for it and supporting our shit it is our Patreons. Mike, introduce them. Yes, our patrons who can watch me watch the show and uh, talk to my wife throughout it because uh, the cat... Uh, Did Jen watch this one with she you? She didn't, but the cat kept trying to turn off the computer, so I had to call in her assistance a few times. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, Brian Kaufman, duty. Casey Clark, Jason Moe, Andrew Hayes, Jorge Navoa, and the mysterious Worf's big old boot shiv, CRM Productions, Charles... Babbage, Nikolai Ivanovich Lobachevsky. I mean, now that I know who that person is, it just makes me mad every time I have to say that. At Grim <laughs> underscore toys and delusions at noon. We appreciate you making sure you can be our advisors during our tribunal. Uh, mm. And you're doing so, and you're putting your money where your mouth is. And we appreciate it. Yes, indeed. Thank you. Uh, please enjoy our bonus nonsense. Yes, we've, of uh, we've we put up a whole bunch of fun stuff, so hopefully that is worth it. Uh, but uh, I, I just got a text from Nikolai. Hey, all hey. the way from the from the Ruskies? All the way, all the way. I, you know, I could almost see Russia from my house. It's a, uh, it's amazing. <laughs> you know, up in Vermont. Uh, anyway, so um, yeah, so let's talk about this episode, shall we? Yeah, let's do it, Keith. Um, interesting. Actually, that's a geekly topic. We'll talk about it another time. Sorry, different show. <clears throat> That's right. We yep. got we 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 if nothing, we stay on topic in in our little show here. So, <laughs> sure, for sure. Uh, all right. So uh, this episode aired on June fifth, nineteen ninety four, and I was just trying to do math in my head. Uh, so this was the summer before my first year in high school. So okay. I was just finishing up eighth grade uh, here in. Uh, in 94, we were listening to, again, I'm happy, it's going to stay on the charts for a while. Mike, I swear it's an earworm. I swear, every week I forget I have to do this, but then I remember I'm up for one. All right, end it, end it. I had uh-huh, a good one uh-huh. last week. This week is not. You know, that, 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 that's right. Each week you forget, but I forget the footer. Yeah, but fair, together fair. we remind each other. That's great. It's, a, it's teamwork because we are all for one, Mike. Because, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're all 41, 
but we also can help each other no, remember. I'm 42, baby. Nah, me too. Yeah. Uh, all right. Anyway, uh, you want to know what else is two? It is in the week two of dominations in our cinemas. It is the Flintstones. Oh, yeah. that I can't believe that people were watching that movie. It was so bad. But, you know, Betty, Barney, the whole clan, Fred, I mean, Wilma. not only were they watching it, it was the number one movie for two weeks in a row. And this is during the summer. So, like, this is blockbuster time. Blockbuster Flintstones movie. So there, there you go, buddy. So uh, what were we watching on TV? Oh, Keith, boring. It's summer. You remember, you know the summer. Nothing's on TV mm. in the summer, especially not in prime time. So we had repeats, repeats, repeats across the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were repeating Lois and Clark, repeating Murder, She Wrote. The CBS Sunday night movie was The Man with Three Wives. Oh. Uh, yeah, so there's that. Uh, let's see if anything was, that was on Sunday. Let's see if anything was happening on Saturday. Let's see. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Saturday night at the movies was When You Remember Me. Hmm. Uh, nope. The Commish. Nothing's new. Oh, yeah, we had a new episode of Hearts of the West, Keith. Hearts of the West. Ever hear of it? Uh, no. It was sandwiched at 9 p.m. between Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman at primetime and mm-hmm. Walker, Texas Ranger at 10 o'clock. Yes. So, uh, uh Hearts of the Past. Didn't get... Uh, no, no joke. Hearts of the Past. The name of the episode was... Back in the panties again. Okay. Uh, well, but wasn't um, Bret Hart on like Lonesome Dove at this point? Was it, was was it Hart as in like the Hart family of wrestling? Yeah, he. I know he did do it. He did do a couple of guest spots, but I don't know if it was at this point. It could, okay, it could very right. well have been. So anyway, Keith, I think I'll leave it. Let's leave it with back mm-hmm. in the panties again. Back in the panties again. That's a thing I didn't expect to be saying today. <laughs> That's neither. for damn sure. Me neither. All right. So uh, enough of that nonsense. Let's talk about the hard news from our weekly world news headline this week. First of all, it's the 76-page summer issue. So in you, color. there's nothing going on TV. Ha. <laughs> Pick up your weekly world news. There's a lot of hard-hitting news here available for you, including a bleeding Virgin Mary speaks. We've captured Bigfoot again, which is Thank really God. exciting. Uh, so uh, lots of uh, man laughs so hard he splits his skull. <laughs> that was good. If they'd thrown that at the pitch meeting, I would have giggled. <laughs> well, it certainly weren't watching us. I'll tell you that much. Uh, yeah, that's that's Bigfoot. Bigfoot, yeah, yeah. you found it in Montana. So, uh, yeah, lots of lots going on. So, Split, correct me if I'm wrong, doesn't that guy look like that comedian who just died? He kind of looks like a, a <clears throat> it's like, uh, what was his name? Um, like Norm MacDonald? Norm MacDonald, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Rest in peace. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Too soon? <laughs> All right. All right. Let's get into this episode. Season two, episode 25, Tribunal. Uh, it was directed, as you mentioned, spoiler alert, by none other than the commander himself, Avery Brooks, with his first directed episode of Deep Space Nine, the first one that a cast member directed. And this is the first of nine that he will direct. Uh, very exciting, and it was written by Bill Dial, who last wrote on the alternate, based on just one throwaway line from the McKee That's Part right. Two. Yeah, I've just read the, the companions. <laughs> he's yeah, not he's, used to me saying things serious. 
I'm I'm not used to you knowing things. Yeah. So uh I mean it's a it's a new day. It's very it's the summer. I think we should get into other useless information with a segment we call Now Keith waste your time with trivial trivia. Okay. Well, I think this is actually very evident throughout. I think it's not just the design, but the entire storytelling. Uh, but production designer Herman F. Zimmerman said he took inspiration from George Orwell's book, 1984. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that inspiration is everywhere. I think, I think a lot of Cardassia is, it has a lot of similarities um, with themes in that book. And certainly visually we see it. Um, great. The, the perpetually prescient, the perpetually genius work if you haven't read 1984 and i feel i i feel very strongly that the people watching this probably have yeah but if you haven't give it a read it's it'll, a banger it'll, it's a it is a banger <laughs> it's it is, lit as the kids say it is lit and it will make your brain go Whoa. all right so next up julian christopher the cardassian overseer we see very briefly was among the actors considered for the part of wharf Huh. Uh, didn't get the part, but he did get to play a Cardassian overseer in this episode. Uh, we, it also mentions that Gull Evek, who plays a bigger role in this episode, was the Gull that O'Brien zoomed with to ask how to kill the Voles earlier this season, which is why O'Brien says, I know you, we've met before. The courtroom that we're going to see is a redress of the Hollow Suite set. Um, which I imagine they probably used pretty frequently. Because spring the ball, right? They did the spring set, ball there. They put the spring ball set there um, because it's basically just walls. So you can fly the walls out and you have a relatively large space to build a set on. So it would make sense, especially when you make it dark lighting. You can cover up a lot of the seams. Uh, so Renee, as Odo, does some lawyering here in awesome. this uh in this episode before he was a cast member a regular cast member of David e. Kelly's Boston Legal with William Shatner and he also played a judge on the practice before Boston Legal if you would like to hear 400 plus hours of us discussing the practice uh check it out it's called the Out of Practice podcast you can find it anywhere you get yeah and of those 400 hours i'd say at least 100 of them are about the practice uh, I mean, at, I would say at least you 80. You want to talk about tangents, folks. We spent at least 45 minutes each one of those episodes talking about cats. Uh-huh. And ourselves, other, mostly. Ourselves, mostly, yeah. So check it out. Yeah. They're all, well, they're not all on YouTube, but they're all on your podcast, and a good chunk of them are on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Well, and look, if uh, if you're like, I really enjoy these nonsense idiots talking for an hour and 20 minutes. What if it were two hour and oh, 20 yeah. minutes and we didn't have to look at them? That content is there, baby. Go for out it. of Go practice podcast. You can, you can listen to us, learn how to, sh- how to do shows yeah. or try. Cause we still haven't. Uh, so the plot of this episode, as you mentioned before, is based on Ducat's statement on Cardassia. The verdict is always known before the trial begins. And it's always the same guilty and of course lastly we all know this is one of the classic o'brien must suffer episodes so uh it's it's a running theme he's uh you know o'brien's there 
to suffer. He is the everyman, and we love to torture that poor guy. I think he's one of the best actors on the show, though, so it makes sense that he's Un- put into these kind of circumstances. And you know no. who agreed with that, Keith? Who's that? Avery Brooks. Yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, Colin Meany is a, an actor's actor. Mm-hmm. He's, a, he's, he's classically trained. He's a stage guy. I saw him in The Moon for Misbegotten on Broadway, um, and he was great. He's always great. Um, so... Dude's got chops as well as uh, his sort of Star Trekiness. So uh, this is normally where I'd say, "What was Next Gen doing?" Well, Next Gen wasn't doing anything. Well, actually, they were doing a heck of a lot They're because right, they were a movie, right? They were filming Generations at this point. Um, but uh, so now this segment is going to soon become, "What was Voyager doing?" Boring. Was Voyager good? Voyager was good. Yeah. Okay. What did? But you know, you don't know. Voyager, I don't know. <laughs> I, I do not know. To, similar to Deep Space Nine, it took a couple of years, well, similar to all of the 90s era shows, it took them a couple of years to get their feet under them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a very good show. Okay. It's de- like, you know, it's it's certainly, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll work our way through it. Okay. <laughs> Mike just died inside a little bit. Come on, you're having fun with this. Yeah, dude, but re- we're on the second season of Nine. Of seven. Okay, well, seven yeah. of nine? So, oh! See what he did there? And you said you didn't know anything about Voyager. Yeah, I, I gotta tell you, just, I, I don't think I'm there yet, but I think I'm in enough with the toys and with this show and with, like, my reading and, like, if judging by my YouTube algorithm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm no longer a total noob, Keith. You keep referring to me as a noob, but I feel like I'm like in, I'm starting, I'm like, if I was training for a marathon, I'd be like, my long runs are like four to six miles now. I mean, I got a long way to go, but I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. the training has started. No, you are, you are definitely doing it. You you definitely have the app on your phone <laughs> and like it it hasn't been, like been deleted skipped to a couple save runs. space. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Because, you know, like I've got that. I have the app on my phone, too, but it's been deleted to save space. So it's got that little arrow. That says, Would you like to download this it's again? It's deleted, just offloaded. That's what it's they call offloaded. it. It's offloaded. Yes, yes. It's been offloaded. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, yeah, no, this is a yeah, we're going to see see how it feel when we get done with this, what we do next. Uh, of course, by then we will have legions uh, of fans, yeah, and it will be sixty, and it will be so. Uh, well, it'll be fun. It'll be paying for our lives. It'll be doing. Keith, all we of can that. pay our sal- if we can pay ourselves a salary one day, mm-hmm. an official yearly salary, like it, yeah. all, like all the other YouTubers, I will concede to do as many Star Trek shows as the as the people demand. Okay. Okay. You hear that, folks? Uh, all we need is about. Uh, yeah, a couple hundred. About more. a thousand times yeah. the profits we make now. We're in good shape. Actually, no, probably Many a lot more than that. Yeah, that's, let's not do <laughs> the math. Let's not do the math. What do you say? All right. All right. You know what we will do? We're going to talk about our guest stars. Yes. Our guest stars in this episode include Rosalind Chow, of course, as Keiko, Mike's girlfriend, Caroline Lagerfeld as Makbar, John Beck as Raymond Boone, Richard Poe back as Gullabek, Julian Christopher as a Cardassian. He was also Hagan. On the next generation code of honor, if you're here today, hug on tomorrow. Yeah, that should that episode should probably be hug on today because if you're like, hey, what if it were next gen but super racist? Watch Code of Honor Mm -hmm. and Fritz Weaver as Kovat. So I think it is now time for us to hop into the screening room. What do you say, Keith? I'd like nothing more. 
Mm. Let's sing about it, maybe. Thank you to all of our podcast listeners who always tune yeah. out right then. <laughs> That's right. It's funny. There's like a hard edge to the uh, to the listening. <laughs> Weird. It drops off. All right. So in our teaser, O'Brien is in some sort of pirate jammy khaki combo outfit, mm-hmm. and he's giving Dax the last minute instructions before he heads off on vacation. He's annoying the crap out of Dax and Kira, and apparently Cisco too. And he pops his head up halfway in the elevator. It's a funny gag. Uh, but also wildly dangerous. I know there's supposedly like force fields or whatever, but I don't think, I mean, it's like an old school elevator where you've got the lever and you can actually set whatever height it is. Right. There was a, there was one rehearsal studio in like Chelsea that you had to get to with an, with an actual elevator operator. Do you remember that one? Was that Shetler? 939? No, no. This was, this was down in like the twenties. Uh, might have just been Chelsea Studios, maybe. I don't think it... Well, I will say this. I used to work for... My roommate was an assistant manager at... And then I would, like, help sub for her every once in a while at this place called the House of the Redeemer up in the 90s on the on the east side. It was like a, uh, a retreat house, a religious retreat house. And uh, regardless, they had an elevator from, like, the, the turn of the century. And it had one of those, like, gates you'd have to close and make sure the gate mm-hmm. was latched. And then you hit the button and it was like... Jikum! But there was no door. It was like a see-through gate, and so you'd see all the levels going up. It was cool. yeah, it was really cool. It was it, it was it was similar to that, but you had to like the guy literally had to pull the lever. Oh yeah, that's cool. There were some great old elevators in the Eastman Theater when I was in college. That there was one like way back in the bowels behind everything you couldn't really see, but only like three people could fit in it, and it was a hydraulic elevator. Oh, that's cool. Because it only went up like three floors, so it went really slow. It never. You know, there's so many things we do in our lives that we've just conceded in our hearts that are safe, like driving every day. Like driving mm. is an insanely, terribly dangerous thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> and just like that, you take your life in your hand every day when you you know get in a car, especially when someone else is driving. Like you just like relinquish all safety of yourself. But think about elevators, especially elevators in those in like multi-story buildings. I know there are fail safes. I'm sure the technology is very safe, but just the general conceit of it. Uh, you're just letting this machine with ostensibly a rope pull you up mm-hmm. hundreds of floors. Well, yes. I mean, do you know why elevator music exists? So that if you plummet to your death, at least you're, you can rock out. Have like a tune? Yeah. <laughs> well, kind of. Yeah. The reason that elevators are, or at least were super nice and had elevator music and lots of like nice calming things was because at the advent of uh, automatic elevators where you pressed your own button, there wasn't a person in it. People were too afraid to go in. Uh. So they put, they made like, oh, here's some music or whatever. It's safe, I promise you. People were afraid of automatic elevators. Huh. So well. there you go. All right, that's relevant to Star Trek. So uh, let's let's continue O'Brien's journey here after he does his little head pop in the elevator. On the promenade, he runs into an old buddy, Boom, that he served with on the Rutledge. Honey, honey, I did it again. Oh, man. Yes, sweetums. Yes, baby cakes. Literally, (laughs) there are two people in my life I call honey. Uh It's my wife. 
and me and my wife. <laughs> yes, yes, it's, it's your internet wife and your real wife. Oh wow, well, that is really funny. Um, Jen, I did it again. So anyway, uh-huh. I've learned another idiom, Keith, or an uh, axiom, I guess. Uh, okay. If someone bumps into you on the promenade of Deep Space Nine, one, they're an integral plot point. Obviously. Two, you're probably in trouble. Yes, it's never good. It yeah. is never good news to bump into somebody in the promenade. Uh, it's also never good news for poor also, Boone. Yeah. If I think about it, even like living in New York City for multiple years, decades, mm-hmm. the times I actually literally physically shoulder checked into somebody, I can count on one hand. It, you don't, it doesn't happen that often. Well, do you count the subway? Mm, no, you, that's a different thing. Because like subway this. platforms, that's different. But that's not what this is. This is like a, it's like in a mall. This is ostensibly a mall, right? Yeah. You don't bump into somebody. The it's not that crowded. There's two people walking down the hallway. Uh, that That's true. That's true. Well, I think he was distracted oh, by. He's about uh, to go get that nookie nook. No, because he's distracted by Boone's vest made out of buckskin and dead raccoons. Yeah, William like Hunt. sewn William by Hurt. children. William Hurt's at the. Oh, that is that vest might be the ugliest thing I've seen on Star Trek. Oh, well, Re- I hope there's a good shot of it. Keith. You can really lean into the majesty. Yeah, no, no, there it Everybody's is. Everybody's got the blue today. Oh, that's right. We did it. We were we're on vacation. That's what it is. We're going on leave. I, I, it definitely sounds like we're on vacation. Yeah. <laughs> Ah, yeah, his weird space jammies. Oh, with oh my collar. god, it is terrible. I guess I didn't really. He didn't know how much Daniel Booning he was doing. Oh yeah, there's a couple <laughs> shots of it later where you can see like it's like hand sewn by like a four year old who like killed the family pet and decided to just like sew it onto Daddy's vest for Father's Day. Meanwhile, these two extras are so thankful that Mike took this screenshot to prove they were on Star Trek. Yeah. Oh my, that'd be my wallpaper <laughs> if I were a Boldian or. <laughs> Better just like that random dude in a. Uh, He's like, but Starfleet I'm so uniform. tall. He was so tall. They were like, you know what? We don't have a uniform that fits him. Just put a top on him. Just keep him in sweatpants and give him a top. That's right. He's shirt cocking it downstairs. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, I have right. never in my life heard shirt cocking. Uh, it's from Deadpool. Oh, God darn, that is funny. Okay. <laughs> it's pretty funny. All right. Paragraph two of the summer. Shirt cocking. So uh, anyway, Boone served with O'Brien on the Rutledge. And uh, we remember the Rutledge, Mike, from that TNG episode uh-huh. where he sang with his captain who went crazy from hating Cardassians. Right, Retro. And they were part of the Setlick 3 massacre battle dealy together. So we've actually heard of that before. We've heard of both of those things before. Uh, Boone now lives on the Cardassian side of the DMZ, i.e. where all the Maquis are hanging out. Apparently all the mustaches. And the, oof, boy, that is some, that's, that, that is some late 80s creeping into the 90s there. That is the uh, local community theater's production of Camelot. <laughs> <laughs> what do the simple folk do? <laughs> well, they do a podcast about Deep Space Yeah, Night. there you go. So, uh, you know, they head off, and Boone sneaks away and plays back a voice memo of their conversation on his pad, as if th- there are always so many, like, dark corners on the promenade you can sneak into. Oh, and, yeah, like, you need to do something 
Nutty? You got it. There's, there's you room. want to do something sneaky and like... I, I, last time I went to the mall, they didn't have anything like that. But uh, anyway. You just got to find the back, uh, the back corner of a Cinnabon. <laughs> there's no corners in a Cinnabon. <laughs> no, they're all round. They're, they're just deliciousness, although apparently they're uh, still in Russia. So as we... Uh, all right. Anyway, uh, so in Act 1. Keiko and Miles zoom off in a runabout on their way to a vacation. Keiko is ex- is annoyed that he forgot the camera. And of course, he's distracted by reading technical manuals. They left Molly behind, and he's like, eh, maybe we should have brought her. I don't know. Keiko then brings him a bowl of leafy things. And uh, this apparently makes him want to join the runabout club. And uh, if you really... And uh, Mike took a lot of screenshots of it. Mike took a lot of screen. Mike would like to join the Runabout Club with Keiko. It's not the Mile High; it's the Runabout. And she had uh, a line I, w- I should have written it down. Um, <clears throat> that was, it felt very much. I, I don't. Ha- somebody has a screenplay. Maybe they they would know. It felt very much like an improv on her part, um, mm. because they're making out, and she's like, "Man, don't these seats recline? You're an engineer. Do yes. something." It felt very improv'd, um, and I thought. Maybe it was. I'm going to, in it's, my brain, I, yeah, I'm going to say it was. I mean, I, I don't think there's a lot of improv on Star Trek, but that would make perfect sense. Um, and, uh, of course, I'm like, I'm not sure how many of his coworkers would appreciate them uh, hitting the runabout club on the chair they have to go and, like, chase Cardassians in. Clearly but. there's a robot that desanitizes all this stuff, so, or sanitizes it. <laughs> you, you'd think it desanitizes it. Anyway, uh... So uh, they're about to uh, they're about to go to Pound Town when a Cardassian ship shows up. Uh oh, they're jamming communications and they're going to stop and inspect the ship. The Cardassian beams on and arrests O'Brien. They protest about their rights, but Gullivec and his goons, of course, don't care. And they shoot Miles and send Keiko back to the station. To be fair, he did punch him. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, they're he was being abducted. Yeah, that's true. And it's you know he's he's popping a collar in his jammies. I mean, how many how many space jammies have cool collars? God bless. I'm going to tell you a story. Uh, twenty years, twenty plus years in the New York City, you hear all these stories. I was mugged once, um, and it was less a mugging and more of a holdup, I guess you could say. <clears throat> but it was in a really like fancy neighborhood, and it was literally by these two like they couldn't have been more than sixteen, seventeen years old. I mean, they were small skinny people they had a little knife it was like that big keith it was like a it was it was one centimeter to inch bigger than a pocket knife or not Mm -hmm. even a pocket knife a a swiss army knife and they like flip it out and you know what my defense was i threw them my wallet (laughs) i didn't there was no resistance i didn't even i was polite as could be i was like hey here you go here's my and at my time i had my girlfriend's passport i was like here's her passport here's some money (laughs) i gave him anything i had i wanted there was resistance didn't need to be futile because i had none or i need to break this down All right, we, we need because like all the rest of that, yeah, okay, you know that's probably the right thing to do. I've 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 never been mugged. Knock on wood. Anyway, I want to know what twenty-something-year-old uh, Mikey's thought process was I'll tell about you what, giving I'll, your girlfriend's passport to them. I'll tell you actually. So I had I was coming back from a a video store, which 
kids, you might not know, there used to be used to be a go to a place to rent VHS mm-hmm. tapes. And she had, <coughs> I, uh, I didn't, I wasn't a member. She was a member and she didn't have her like little card thing. So she gave me her passport, which was her ID to show her, to show like, oh, it's, it's, uh, Andrea's thing. So. Oh, I know. I knew Andrea. So anyway, when they, when the holdup thing happened, I had had my credit card, my debit card or credit card in my back pocket. Now for, in my brain, for whatever reason, I thought that was worth more. Like that was like, cause they could like steal all of my money through that. Right. Sure. Sure. So in my front pocket, I had some cash and her passport. So I just tried to like, my thought process was like, I'm just going to show them what's in my front pockets. Mm-hmm. And that ended up being truthful. Like they just took what was in my front pocket, which was that those two things. And they didn't like show me, make me pull out, you know, they were just kids. They were trying to, anyway. Yeah. Long story short, if to play this, it's not short. Now it's long to play it out. Um, we, they had run down into the subway afterwards and I went back, uh, like after I went back and told her what happened, I went to the, the F train stop to see like if I could find the cat, if they, long story short, they had thrown her passport into the trash can. They didn't keep her passport. So well, why would they? Cause I mean, that, I'm surprised they, they took it in the first place. Well, clearly they were in, they were inexperienced. Like they, I, they ended up with like $40 in cash, but a passport you could sell you could for to an identity theft if you knew who to like black market it to you could make some money off that i assume I, uh, well apparently all right well uh keep in mind when you mug mike next uh check his back pocket but <laughs> you, you might get somebody's passport do you carry cash Good. anymore do you have like ever carry cash i carry i'll tell you what i live in new jersey mm. you can't pump your own gas uh. so i carry ones that makes sense so that's that's about it. Thanks to this guy, I don't carry cash anymore. Yeah, well, and because you can pump your own gas. Yeah, I can pump anything. I can pump. I'm gonna say it. Take, let's go. <laughs> so next, so he gets captured. <clears throat> <laughs> Gross. What are you talking about? Ew. Talking about gas, Wawa. All right, we arrive on Cardassia, and there are Orwellian propaganda screens broadcasting everywhere. This was very 1984. Yeah, very cool too. Very cool, very cool, and really, I I think the the propaganda screens running twenty four seven I think tells us so much about life on Cardassia. It also added um, a cool, I thought, element to the the matte painting. You know, mm-hmm. adding that little visual, that video element, kind of elevated the the effect for me. Yeah, and I love this matte painting because the the style of architecture is so unique. And the little like hooky spikes on the top of the buildings there, like that just yes, Cardassian. It's it's so immediately recognizable and unfriendly, yeah. imperial. Uh it's it's really well designed, really, really well integrated storytelling wise with the Cardassians here. So they bring O'Brien into an interrogation room where he is put in a spotlight and has his clothes removed. The interrogator asks him to make a confession. They zap him in the eye. They put him in an interrogation chair. It takes and... its clothes off. It stops asking questions and takes its clothes off. And this, of course, is very reminiscent of the There Are Four Lights episode of The Next Generation. Uh, Chain of Command Part 1 and 2. So Mike has not seen this, so this is all new to Mike. But this is actually an element we have seen before. So O'Brien is not the first main cast member 
to be stripped down and tortured by the Cardassians. And they uh, they throw him on that cold grate there, which I imagine is probably uncomfortable for his little engineer. They take a hair sample, they pull out a tooth, and then they hit him with some blue light as well. We don't really know what most of this means, but it's all very brutal and uh, An awesome, lit really well. An awesome decision, I thought, on their part to show what appears to be random torture mechanics, right? Mm. Um, but sneak into there for later some information you know what would have been kind of cooler is you know they kind of give away the ghost of the tooth thing in a in a dialogue sequence midway through the episode that i feel like maybe we could have done without i feel like they had to hit us over the head with it for later for the reveal but it would have been cooler in the reveal to call back all the way to the beginning of the episode with just seeing it without having to have said it in that uh <clears throat> In that explanation, I think by well, who does it? Odo, I believe Odo explains. Yeah, it. Odo explains yeah. that all great. Yes, and I think that I think that would make a lot of sense. Probably that's how they do it now with streaming, but because this was yeah. broadcast with commercials, you don't know. The audience might have missed a segment while they're getting a sandwich. So, as he's naked and tied to a chair, a Cardassian lady enters and apologizes for his treatment. She is Chief Archon, the equivalent of a judge here on Cardassia, and she says his trial is beginning in two days, and he has been assigned a lawyer. O'Brien wants to know what the hell is going on, but she won't say, and I feel very represented by O'Brien right now. Yeah, he's... like, I, you know, we all want to try and see ourselves... We want to see ourselves on screen, and I do. (laughs) 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 I feel very seen right now. (laughs) So, uh, back, yep, yep, that's, I think that's pretty fair, pretty fair. Oh my god, oh god. Uh, uh. That's sad, all right. Uh, we head back to the station, and, uh, and we're gonna talk about that outfit later. We head back to the station, and Cisco mentions that the Federation has sent three ships to the border including the Enterprise getting a shout-out after the series finale. It's still out there, still doing stuff. Keiko naturally is pissed. She knows that O'Brien must suffer. Odo confirms that, uh, yup, he's being tortured. And she, she says, I know, because I've heard of all the stories about Setlik 3 and how afraid O'Brien was about what the Cardassians do to their prisoners. Um... So adding, like, a real subject. So, like, O'Brien is the one Federation person who, like, knows what happens in this mm-hmm. situation, which I think adds a uh, an element of gloom for poor O'Brien. Then the Cardassian Archon lady zooms onto the main screen on Ops and is not helpful. Uh, Mike's going to say a comment he <clears throat> he often says, but I'm going to say it again. Avery Brooks, for being his inaugural debut here, uh, inaugural direct directing gig on this show at least i don't know if he had directed other things um <clears throat> the setups for this show for this episode are incredible all of the establishing shots the framings and they change right he does some uh, some of the dutch angles uh, the, as yep. uh i was we, we were re- as, re- as jd re- mentioned yep. yep but they do a lot of uh up shots and down sh- and like uh, up mm-hmm. shots and down shots and a lot of uh, playing with focus and a lot of framing between shoulders really cool stuff by ben uh, but and, and and this shot right here, we've never seen this angle before. 
Well, and, and then when we get into the the courtroom, we've never seen any of those setups. Yeah. So it's it was some really cool stuff, I thought. But like look how friggin' cool the production design is in this shot. Oh yeah. And we've never seen that before. We've never mm-hmm. seen this angle before to really show like what a what an amazing angle. I can't believe we've never seen it before. And I assume they're just staring at a green screen, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, it looks so cool. Anyway, uh Oh, yes. So Cisco is pissed and gives the great line, if that sounds like a threat, it is. Uh, great line, great Cisco-ing there. So uh, the Archon says that the charges will be announced when the trial begins, as is Cardassian law. Keiko naturally objects, but, and, uh, but we are reminded that the verdict is already guilty. And the purpose of the trial is to demonstrate how good they were at proving his guilt. Um, Speaking of Orwellian. But Keiko is invited to watch the trial. Odo speaks up. He knows the Cardassian laws and is an officer of the court because uh, and offers to be his nester or advisor of the accused. And uh, he is one because uh, he was a part of the Cardassian court in his days during the occupation. Happily, Odo gets the gig, but uh, the Archon says the execution has already been scheduled. Sisko tells Kira to investigate what happened and what the charges possibly could be. And Kira is like, you know, uh, the dude hates Cardassians. Maybe he did do something? Mm-hmm. I mean, A, like she should talk. Uh, but Sisko fairly says, we need to know either way. So, Which is an it, ex- excellent juxtaposition playing with our... Because we just prejudged this lady, right? The Archon Babe. By, oh, the Cardassian system is terrible. They already they already said he was guilty, blah, blah, blah. But then Kira does the exact same thing, but through sort of our vernacular, right? But through suspicion, through all of these things. And uh, Ben then includes... Ben draws the distinction between them and us. We're, we're going we're gonna to investigate. We're going to find out for sure before we... Passage judgment. Well, I thought it's a really cool, cool beat. I mean, and and the difference between Cardassian ethics and Federation ethics is that the facts matter, right? You know that that we we're we're not going to prejudge either way, and we're going to investigate, and then you know eh, facts matter. It's a quaint idea, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, back in back in the nineties, we thought that that was a good thing. Yeah, I have a I have a point to draw up a little bit later that is a little less flippant than that, but. Uh, <laughs> is as equally scary. We'll get there. Yeah. <clears throat> Interesting. Well, so in Act 3, O'Brien is in his cell when his lawyer shows up. He's an amiable Cardassian named Korath. He's the best in the biz, or so he thinks. But until we find out that his job... Look, look at this is- shot. First of all, look at that door. Look at the like cool, stark, right angles. The, uh, the, the, so cool. So every picture I took was, was like, yeah, that's rad. And and I love the color scheme of the Cardassians, that blue. Because mm-hmm. A, I, I just like the color blue. Obviously, we all like the color blue. Um, but I think, like, I, it's a really, like, imposing and scary and yet also kind of elegant yeah. way to, uh, to light their entire universe. So, uh, anyway, we find out that the, the Cardassian defense lawyers are not designed to defend, but to prepare O'Brien to accept his fate and confess because confessions make people feel better about executions 
Just like it does here, right, Brendan Dassey? Wow. <laughs> Shots fired. Keith on fire. Yikes. Uh, anyway, also... You know what? It's one thing, if you want to kill me, all right, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. you don't, make me, me. don't make me go out like this. Come uh, on. I, I wrote down here exactly what you're getting at. I would pay $10 to see Colm's face when he was given the intendant Kira outfit to wear as a Cardassian prisoner, because what the hell is yeah, that? It's, I, there's so many, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna shame anybody, but God bless him for just being a pro. Just like wearing that weird S&M geek outfit. It's like, it's like if, if it, it's like if a dominatrix mated with a t spare tire. <laughs> with ruffles. Yeah. Like, cause this, this is like Seinfeld's the Seinfeld pi pirate puffy shirt. pirate yeah. shirt, but in black. It is a very bold and... Do I smell a custom? <laughs> That's what I'm talking but about. O'Brien in his prison, prison Cardassian prison. Do not prison. bring that to column to sign because he will <laughs> slap you silly. Wow. Uh, so O'Brien asks what the charges are. And Korat says, of course, it doesn't matter. What matters is the trial demonstrating the futility of behavior contrary to good order. Do you think that they're continued, because they, they do it more than a handful of times, their continual uh, poo-pooing, that's my technical term, poo-pooing mm -hmm. of what the charges are, they do it to Ben, or stonewalling. To, they do it to Ben, they do it to Colm himself, they do it to Odo is to prevent them from investigating on their side or just to hammer home the point of it doesn't matter, it's predetermined? Yes. I think it's both. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, it's, it is it is a way that you wield power in a way that you don't have to be held accountable for those charges. I mean, uh, I, I'm going to bring it up later, and it's probably the comment you're about to make. You know, post 9-11, we did this to so many people. Mm -hmm. Actually, um, it's... Well, yeah, but yes, there's a, I, mean, I have a future thought too, but we'll get there. Yeah. It's just like the, the countless people who were rounded up, imprisoned, tortured, and not even told what they were being accused of. Uh, probably there's still some of them there in Guantanamo Bay. It's so, interesting like, too, though, because, you know, and I'm sure Cardassians are much more prone to, uh, confess guilty or no, because a, since they were little, it's been they've been they've been kind of brainwashed to believe that this is the best way to maintain law and order by just confessing right. and teaching the kids that they're safe. Um, but also, uh, apparently, that will remove the stain from your family because remember they give their their family right. they give Keiko the opportunity to disavow him, and right. so I think those things. So this guy, I, I love the, his portrayal because he believes it's because it's going to be a cakewalk. How easy he's going to easily going to be able to convert this guy. And ha yeah, and I, I think you're I think you're right. I mean that that sort of oppressive regime there, you it it's built into the fabric. And it's this sort of is a win-win too for them, right? Like because a, either you go in there and you're contrite and you confess and we kill you and and you you pay for to society by being contrite, or yeah, as as uh, O'Brien does here, you profess your innocence and you're arrogant and you're a pain in the ass, and then you just portray yourself as a bastard criminal, and yeah. so. Well, and that's it, it, no harm, no foul. And that's it. You're damned if you do, damned if you don't. That's that the whole the whole point. Yeah, that's that the, the futility. It well, and that's the thing. The, the, the purpose of the trial is to, to demonstrate the futility of behavior contrary to good order. 
I Darnassi. do feel bad for the cameraman in this episode who's constantly just laying on his back taking all of these all this footage. Yeah. So many upshots. Definitely. Uh, but he says Cardassi is safe because all crimes are solved. All criminals are punished. And Korath is delighted about the situation and uh, happily mentions, I've never won a case. Of course, because that is not the purpose. Meanwhile, Kira and Dax investigate uh, what this could possibly be. And we find out that 24 warheads have been transported from the station uh, by cleverly switching the warheads for an equal amount of weight in metal, doing the Indiana Jones swap. Mm. And only a transporter expert could pull it off without setting off alarms. And that more, even more damning that O'Brien, and, and if you didn't know from Next Gen, Mike, he was the transporter chief of the Enterprise. Yeah, I got that. So he is a transporter super expert. Uh, but we also learned that O'Brien was there three minutes before he left for vacation. And Dax plays the voice print audio of O'Brien gaining access to the room. O'Brien here. Criminal, criminal, warhead criminal. Exactly. Kira thinks he may have done it to support the Maquis, which is interesting because, like, at this point in the series, this would never happen on Next Gen. That one cast main cast member would legitimately wonder if another one was a criminal. Uh, but, I mean, it, it, the logic makes sense, and we're yeah. certainly setting it up. Uh, Bashir, of course, is incredulous, but Cisco wants to know how the Cardassians found out about this and who received the warheads. We head back to Cardassia, and Odo shows up to talk to O'Brien. We learn that uh, all Cardassians have a molar extracted for the government. Uh, it's the same thing as uh, when uh, Bill Gates puts the chip in your COVID vaccine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's, that's, how, that's how we're being tracked. So uh, the Cardassians allowed Keiko to come so that people could see her weep at the trial. Odo asks O'Brien about the Maquis, and he starts to actually interrogate him. And Odo tells O'Brien about the warheads. O'Brien denies it all and that he's pissed. And he delivers a pretty good monologue about his innocence. I thought it was excellent. I thought it was better uh, than pretty good. Yeah. It, I mean, this this is where you sort of hand the ball to Kalamini and make him... Because he doesn't really say anything particularly special. And yet, at the end of it, Odo believes him and so do we. That's the beat, right? I mean, it is a pretty... The writing is what it is for the monologue. But it's delivered in a way... With such with such grounding and with such believability, believability that the beat where Odo believes him and almost almost offers a little contrition for having accused him is really powerful. And and that comes down to just two phenomenal actors. Yeah, because as as you said, the the writing, the actual dialogue is not anything special. It's pretty boilerplate. I didn't do it. Blah 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 blah. I try to be a good person, right? But with the with the two of them being able to do so much work non-verbally that it really lands the scene. And Odo says, being accused of a crime is not a disgrace. In fact, you're in very good company. Uh, and Odo does believe that he didn't do it. Um, so it's actually like a really big character beat because we haven't seen O'Brien and Odo 
together much mm-hmm. on the show. So we don't actually know much about their relationship. And so they haven't, they're not like buddy buddies like he is with O'Brien Bashir says it, right? Or, O'Brien says, he's like, I know you don't know me very well. Yeah. Dot, dot, dot. Which is, which is interesting. And so um, it is understandable that Odo would doubt him here. And, uh, but I think moving forward, their characters are going to have a different relationship because of this moment. So act four begins and Dax has proven that the voice pattern to use to access the warheads is a fake. It was manipulated in a way that seemed nearly impossible in 1994, but can be done with an eight-year-old and an iPhone today. Uh, Kira found the Maquis member and it was Boone. And they realize he recorded O'Brien's voice and uh, how we got into the door. So, huzzah. We it now was know. O'Brien. It was O'Brien. And now, so we know he's innocent now. But the trial is just starting. The set looks super cool despite being built in such a small soundstage. Uh, but, like, so many details, so much done with lighting. The little, like, evil jury there. Yeah, what do they really, even have really a jury cool. for? That's kind of, that's, I guess, pointing out the hypocrisy of it. There's well, a- well, yeah, no, exactly. I mean, it's it's all sort of performa, whatever. I mean, is that a child? A child? <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> Guilty, sir. Up with his head. Uh, yeah. So, uh, anyway. You assured they bring me my Brian. legs would not be present in the shot, but you have lied. <laughs> I just wore my, my jorts. <laughs> My Pumas. Uh, okay. Uh, yes, my my Zubaz. Oh, this. But what was this actress's name again? She chewed the hell out of the scenery. I loved it. Yeah, she really did. With that it hair, was, the hair design's cool. Uh, Caroline Lagerfeld. Uh, yeah, she did a great job. Uh, so they bring in O'Brien, and uh, once again, the lighting is amazing because all that texture behind here—that's just light. Yeah, it's cool. Like that's not even anything built. The Archon i.e. the judge, tells O'Brien to confess. He says, nope. They bring in Keiko and Odo, and they give Keiko a chance to testify against O'Brien. She says, nope, again. GFY. Odo, what's that? I said GFY, she says. Yeah. Odo wants to talk to the lawyer, and the judge is pissed because uh, conferences are not good TV, and the trial is being broadcast planet-wide. Um... So again, so much, it's it's propaganda, propaganda, propaganda. And so much about Cardassia is the dominance of the state. Do, you know, it's, it's you know, I, I don't know how many times I'm going to say Orwellian, but it is very much uh, like that. Um, but I really like the idea of it being broadcast mm-hmm. and that the theatrics of it all were very important. Um, yeah, but, it, but, but different a little bit because <clears throat> we're only, oof, actually... Aren't we? When was the O.J. Simpson trial? Ninety six. Ninety three. Oh, so this is post that. This is like right about the same time. Probably around the same time as they so were. So it's actually like because that's the fir- that was really the first case that was like this is good theatrics. We have to get all the cameras in there because this is. Yeah. He's uh, He's oh, you know what? No, that's it. Was actually after this. That's I what I'm saying. Ninety three. It was 95. Yeah, it was 95. So it's actually pretty prescient that this was like, oh, the course is theatrical TV. And then we were, then we as a society were like, you know what? Yeah, goddamn right it is. Let's, let's televise <laughs> them all. Like, oh, that's a good idea. 
Uh, this, of course, the theatrics they're most interested in is the is the impression that the court is always right and that you're safe, whereas, uh, you know, we are more just like the theatrics of the actual case. But point point taken, really. Dude. That's nuts, you wanna right? Hear, you you want to hear something creepy? Yeah, sure. The murders happened the week this aired. Whoa. It was June 12th. Oh, my goodness. And this was June 5th. Oof. Someone was watching. Oof. Okay. Oh, right. Well, we, well we, we, we pushed a button there. Yeah, we sure did. Yikes. Uh, all right. So uh, I, can't, I can't believe I looked that up. All right. Anyway, so uh, Odo tries to tell the lawyer that he has new evidence exonerating O'Brien. And Korath, the defense attorney, is horrified. He doesn't want any chaos. I'm nearing retirement. Don't ruin this for me, he says. Don't ruin this for me. <laughs> Odo tries to battle his way through the court. He asks for a change of venue, and the judge is not happy and threatens him with contempt charges. But there is no evidence, uh, because there is no evidence allowed after the verdict has been rendered. To which O'Brien uh, 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 Odo has a pretty baller line. It's like, Look, I have no teeth for you to remove. Yeah, which is cool. This is the point I wanted to point at earlier before, because she also says, um, of course, we recognize that the uh, the Federation would come up with some technology to to uh, exonerate, exonerate him. him or to prove wrong. And I thought to myself, you know, we've often looked at the court as or the legal system is trying to catch up, right? Like we haven't invented the test yet to test for mm -hmm. this sample. Before DNA testing. Yes, blah, blah, blah. We, yeah, yeah. So we're always waiting for catch up. And so, you know, we have to go back into in an in an ideal circumstance, we'd go back through all comb through all the old cases and retest mm -hmm. convicted people with new obviously we're not going to do that because because but, but we should. We should in a perfect world. But you know, like the, the you're lucky if you get Luckily, there's the Innocence Project and 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 nonprofits like that that are trying to. But it is to so hard, it's so difficult, unbelievably, irresponsibly but, difficult. So that's one giant quagmire of quagmire yeah. of 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 justice injustice in our system amongst an avalanche of them that I'm not going to cover here. But we're staring down the barrel, Keith. We kind of did a flippant um, episode of Geekly a few weeks ago about Chat GPT. Yeah. And you just kind of made an offhanded comment about how a kid with an iPhone can doctor a voice. Or, or And I'm, yeah. I use a program for work now that has recorded enough of my voice that I can go into old voiceover I've done, I've done. And if I have to update, maybe we changed the way UI works in our program and I have to change one line of dialogue instead of re-recording the whole thing. It knows enough of my voice and it can fix it for me. Mm -hmm. Or see the Anthony Bourdain movie where they just used his voice. Right. Yada, yada, yada. And that is changing and updating progressively. So crime yeah. is going to update progressively. But importantly, what happens now when exonerating evidence or uh what's the what's the opposite of that? Uh, or you, 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 Exculpatory uh, and right and in in uh um incriminating. incriminating evidence both can be very specifically doctored or created. Yep. Yeah, how do we combat that? How so? Well, back, it, it used to be Keith. Here's uh, Dr. Keith Varney. He is a respected blah blah blahologist, and uh, his testimony holds weight because 
we say it does because or, he's or, just, yeah. Or, or or more important than the doctor, here's 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 a recording of the Nixon tapes. Yeah, right. We can't argue with it. It's mm-hmm. a recording. Now, I mean, here's, a, here's we've a already, video of you surveillance. We've you already know. dealt with that for years because I can look at the same piece of blood splatter evidence that used to be like incriminating and say, well, this expert says it says this. This expert says right. it says this. They are conflicting. Who do you believe? So we already have had that, but now it gets more condemning because what's a big thing in trials, Keith? Oh, well, let's listen to the tape. The jury hears the yeah. tape of this person saying those things. Now, maybe in the next ver- or a couple of days later, like, you know what? We've we've had a we've had a, a hearing and the tape, dear jury, forget you heard the tape. Well, once you hear the tape, yeah. it's there. Well, and how do you prove it's fake? How do you prove it's real? Yeah. We're, we're it's, entering a, a dark, scary. Well, time. and and that that part is is one thing. Like what I'm, you know, what's going to happen soon is 2024 election. Here's a here's a utterly convincing videotape of Biden decapitating somebody, and there and here's an utterly convincing convincing videotape of Trump kicking a dog. Right, hundred mm-hmm. percent easily done. Now, like utterly convincing, really hard to prove that it's not proved, and and whether or not it's this cycle or the next cycle, like this is going to start to like topple. Well, the only part of both those tapes that's accurate, Keith, is Billy Bush laughing in the background. Uh huh. Yeah, B- Billy Bush is like, ha ha, way to go, buddy. <laughs> he's but he's in both tapes, so it's he's weird. In both tapes. He's like weird. Yeah, yeah, that dog deserved yeah, it. Cool. Yeah, just keeps on. Right. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Oof, Billy Bush. Where were we? Jesus, we, we are not on topic today. All right, so uh, back on the station, Cisco and Kira interrogate Boone. He denies having done anything wrong, but who would believe a guy wearing that vest? Later, Bashir goes to the infirmary, and all the lights are off and won't turn on. Of course, there is a man there to give Bashir some info. And the man says, I'm We never in the learn Ma- who this dude is, right? Nope. Nope. All he says is that I'm in the McKee, and uh, we know nothing about the theft. Some would say, Keith, guy- it's Deus Makiina. Come on. Come on. All right. All right. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. I'll give oh, it okay. to you. I know what that is. Like Jen's going to give you some coffee. Months later, that poster that I thought was one thing, that's another thing. Finally uh-huh. arrived. It Should we look here. on camera? How exciting. Yeah, let's definitely look on camera. All right, this is... Oh, it's... He really... It's... It's... It's packaged within an inch of its life. Oh, I'm excited. This is oh. going to be a Deep Space Nine poster that Mike, that thought, Mike thought was, was about ball. racquetball. <laughs> but it's not racquetball. I'm not going to say what it is, but if you hold it up, all of yeah, our I'm viewers going to, will hold know on. Let exactly me go, let what me, it is. Let me do it this way. Go to cam two. Oh, all right. All right, Mark, we're going to need off. you in full. All right. There we go. Technology, huh, folks? Technology. God damn. <laughs> just, we just it's created terrifying. a shot that didn't exist. Okay. All go. right, here we go. Hope it'll focus, maybe. This yeah, took a focus. month to get here. Woo! Spitfire. Yo, this is awesome. About. So awesome. And look, they, oh, do- they aged so cool. the paper, so it's, you know. Oh, wow, that looks great. Uh, we're gonna have to shout out the creator of this. It looks great. Yeah, we'll do I'll do that in the wrap up when I look up their name. Love it. Love it. All right. So not racquetball one bit. 
No, not at all. Okay, let me turn on my boop. And we are all in right. the screenshot view. Boop. Rakita, where they're whew. Technology. All right. So uh so the McKee guy says, uh, you know, we didn't do it, and Boone is not one of us. So that's interesting. We get another great exterior shot of the Cardassian architecture, and we see the trial is continuing. Gal Avec is testifying about how awful the Maquis is mm. and says that reliable sources have told me that the Maquis set this whole thing up, which at this point we know they didn't. Odo says, uh, you know, what sources? And he says, I can't tell you. It's against national security. This is very post 9-11, 10 years ahead of its time. On the station, Cisco and Bashir want to do a medical exam of Boone. Because uh, apparently, he hasn't talked to his parents in eight years. He left his wife eight years. Oh, really, just everybody just really just taking the majesty of that mm -hmm. vest. Oof, I don't know why it's I hate it so It's not just the much. vest. Underneath it, he has a green singlet on. And beneath the green green singlet, he has a blue knit cow neck sweater. And Ma then to tie it all together is a leather high belt that's like right under nipple zone. I mean, nothing about that makes any sense, especially in the future. Oh, wow, that's bad. That is a... I mean, he's like, hold on, you made me grow this mustache. I bet, I bet that actor had but, that mustache. And and even with all of that, it's still not the ugliest costume in the episode. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I mean, it really is Sophie's choice. Which one would yeah. you be forced to wear? Uh, that's that's grim. That's grim. So uh, anyway, clearly something happened eight years before. He dumped his his wife, his parents, and he was thrown out of Starfleet. And it all happened shortly after Setlick 3. And when they mention that, Boone makes a very lazy run for it. We head back to the courtroom, and the judge arrives again for the next session. It's O'Brien's time to testify. And of course, he is compelled to testify by Cardassian law. O'Brien's lawyer tells O'Brien to confess, as most you know, good defense attorneys do. Korath tries to figure out how O'Brien became a criminal. Perhaps you were abused by your parents or your wife. And he gives up, and the judge takes over. She asks how many Cardassians O'Brien has killed. And he says none. And she's like, well, what about the war? Of which, of course, he has killed Cardassians. She asks, how do you feel about Cardassians? Do you hate Cardassians? And she quotes him accurately as saying the bloody Cardis can't be trusted. So it's sweet. It sweeps weeks for the judge. It sweeps weeks for the judge. But it also like it, it really shows the internal logic of the Cardassians. Why did they choose O'Brien as opposed to any other Federation officer? Because O'Brien is the most believable. He really he is. He does hate Cardassians and he you know, has gone through the war you know, he uses words like Cardi's, which would be a racial slur in translated into our world. And like, it's, he really does have a pretty iffy background with this. Um, so his lawyer says, uh, concede your guilt. O'Brien says, I concede nothing. And here is where the Deus Machizana shows up because a Cisco arrives with Boone. 
the judge immediately clocks it and abruptly gives a speech and announces they're going to commute O'Brien's sentence and release him. Uh, because, obviously, they, that's a shot. You know, it, it, that that looks like a screenshot from that horror Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> and this looks like the Joker. It does. Sorry. I, I don't know. Sorry, I kind of think O'Brien did it. I think he did it yeah. based on those screenshots. Uh, so uh, anyway, Korath, the lawyer, is gutted to learn that he won the case because, and he's probably right, they're probably going to kill him. Uh, for embarrassing the state so all of a sudden that sort of like frustrating semi-comedic character becomes like a oh okay there are like real stakes here and you know this this kind of kind of getting scary so on the way home we find out what actually happened boone was actually a cardassian spy replacement of the actual boone they surgically altered him to look like that and he took over his life. The whole thing was just a show trial to try and frame the Federation and get them to pull their settlements out of the DMZ. Um, so, yeah, interesting. Interesting move, but very Cardassian move. Mm-hmm. It makes perfect sense. So they then send O'Brien and Keiko back on their vacation because that's the mood I'd be in after being tortured for days in Intendant Kira's outfit. Well... I mean, it's better than like, oh, I'll see you at 0900 tomorrow for work. Well, Here's your maybe. Go on vacation. Get some Nook. I, <laughs> I'm not sure how interested in Nook I would be after having been tortured, but I, I never have been. So how, how would I know? But I, I feel like it I would be know. like. Asks anybody getting released from prison. They, they're going to get a meal and then. I mean, it's been there for like three days, but yes, I, I might be like. Actually, Maybe, I might go visit a dentist. Can, is there a beam that'll like put your tooth back, Keith, or is that one gone? I'm sure if we can replace our teeth with fake teeth, they can probably implant a, a, a new tooth. All right. Uh, but uh, anyway, yeah, so they, they zoom off to continue their vacation. And that is Tribunal. Now it's time for Mike's Tribunal. And now it's time for Mike and Deglio's Star Trek Vocabulary Quiz. All right, Mike, because it's come up on multiple episodes. Mike, what was Setlick 3? Setlick 3 was like a big battle, Keith, and a lot of them were in it. And some like, and like they lost a lot of good men. We lost a lot of good men. It was bad. Uh-huh. Took a lot of prisoners. Yeah. Tortured like folks. War times. News. Yeah. And what is a Cardassian Archon? Keith, it's like Judge Kittleson, but Cardassian. Similar hair, though. <laughs> yes similar sauciness yeah. behind the bench mm-hmm. yeah okay that's a good the practice reference now it's time to move along home i remembered this time move along not come along home move along home well man they won't let you forget it if you mess no, up they will not they- nope that's not right that's not right either there we go Okay. Why was that so quiet? No, no, no. I don't know. <clears throat> it's pretty loud usually, so it all evens <laughs> it out. It does even out. So here we are at Quark's. Let us answer 
Mike, did you find any wormholes in the plot? Well, I don't know if it's a wormhole, but it is bugging me. So it warrants a discussion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can understand how, you know, they like, they chose this super soldier spy replacement guy years before. They were like, oh, we can <clears throat> we can use him for something in the future. It wasn't necessarily right. they had the plan initially. But it is clear from the show trial and the evidence they'd already had previously like pre-planned that O'Brien was the target. And so the initial scene of this episode seems like such happenstance because O'Brien was on his way out. So how did this guy know where O'Brien was going to be in order to, or is it just, is the, is the bumping in, that is, that is happenstance. He, had he not bumped into O'Brien, he still was going to show trial him. He was going to go. No, no, or did no, no, he no. need to I, capture his voice at that point? He needed to capture his voice at that time. Once they knew that O'Brien was going to go on vacation, that was what triggered the whole plot, right? Because they needed to steal the warheads, put them in the runabout, need to get the voice print. So they they obviously like found out that the O'Briens were going on vacation. So they were like, right? dude, just like hang around where he's going to be and then just like bump no. into him? No, because it's an airport, right? So like, oh, he's going on vacation next week. Go go to the promenade tomorrow and bump just, into O'Brien. Okay. It seems so, a little which is convenient. Why they, no, it's not convenient because they, they got the spy there. He's waiting around and they say like, today's the day. Go to the airport bump into him which also explains why it's perfectly reasonable that he did bump into him because it was intentional like physically bump into him all right and then i guess the other thing would be then like of all the security holes once again i feel like our computer would be smart enough to to know that that's a compiled a composite voice that that's not o'brien like if yeah. if your voice then there's a better my biometric than using your voice clearly a hundred percent and like I, that is a wormhole for me that that's that's mine as well and i i think honestly that that is just a a 1990s technology issue we didn't realize how how non-secure our voices mm. were back in the 90s i don't think we had any conception of what we were going to be able to do to digitally manipulate to use ai to recreate like i, I think that was just beyond where they were thinking technologically. So today it makes absolutely no sense right. that that would be, it's the same thing with, um, you know, all of the, the codes like Picard is like, oh, self-destruct security code, Picard alpha one seven. That's it. Right. <laughs> That's your code. Right. That's your password. Like all of the passwords are password. Uh, but I, I think that is literally just early, computers early technology they were just didn't anticipate that security was i won't go into it but it it makes me laugh because what were we doing all morning (laughs) logging in and passwords yeah like Uh fooling systems and yeah a hundred percent yeah i don't don't think they were conceiving of uh you know (laughs) fooling google by i'll tell it on geekly this coming week as a teaser but so i'm really nuts because i had gotten uh hacked last year, the year before, so I'm nuts with my passwords now. I have a password generator that randomly scrambles my password for Google and a couple of other things every week and a half. Dude, would you believe in that week and a half, somehow I got fished or and or hacked and they bought three Pixel phones for $1,000 each through my Google Store account? You're kidding. I don't, I was telling you, Jen, like, it's absurd. They must have had my Google password. It's the only way they could have done it. And not only that, 
They then went into my Gmail and deleted all of the order confirmations so that I didn't see this when I just bought a phone in my account. Whoa. And added two addresses to my account to have them shipped to. One of the phones got shipped and received. Holy moly. I did, get, I did get my money back. Wow. That's that's scary. I didn't, I, yeah. Yeah, it's all not right. cool. Well, change your Gmail, change your Google passwords every once in a while, people. Well, or apparently don't, because it doesn't make any difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sucked. All right. Two-factor authentication. Always two-factor. I have four-factor. I have the, the scrambled password, then that sends me a text, and then you have to know my PIN. And then on top of that, it re-scrambles every week and a half. How did they get through that? No, I, I must have clicked something somewhere. <clears throat> wow. Yikes. Don't don't click on those things, guys. Don't just don't click on anything. You know what? Don't take your click computer on anything. Throw it out the window. I think that I think that is the plan. All right. So those are the wormholes. I, I thought the rest of it really holds up. Yeah, the the logic of it all makes mm -hmm. sense. It's a very complex whole plot happening there, and yet it all clocked, it all made sense to me. So what was your favorite moment, Michael? So of, of all the moments, I really still love that scene with Odo and O'Brien. I think that monologue and the way it's received is just so acted well. I think it, it really gives us, a, I guess, a, a, a center point for who O'Brien is going forward. If he's going to go through all these trials and tribulations, as you mentioned. Do they call them the trials of Job in the, in the companion? Um, I think that we need, a, we need a starting point, and we need to know exactly. They, I think they establish his sort of ethical center here uh you know including the stuff that happened during war which is a, yeah. a scar he's a, on he's him a, and he's a flawed character it's and he says as much and i think that's my scene yeah uh I, I think you're right i think that is the best scene but just for the sake of sakes uh i'm gonna say it's cisco's line if that sounds like a threat it is uh because that is something picard would never say and it is it is a Cisco line. It's a great character that he delivered it well. The way Avery Brooks could only deliver a line like that, and it really is continuing to build the legend of the Cisco that we are going to continue to get to know moving forward. So, uh, Mike, that only leaves us with one thing to do, and that is give out some self sealing stem bolts. Well, Keith. I really liked this episode. I thought it was directed well. I thought the mystery was really kind of cool. I thought that the entire uh, setup, establishment point of the Cardassian court system was really unique, and I thought it was giving us an interesting vantage point uh, to the Orwell Orwellian 1984 kind of police state. It really kind of let us know where all the Cardassians are coming from, sort of where their hubris comes from, sort of where their whole justice and legal mm -hmm. center comes from. I, all of that seemed really backfilled. And, and the, <clears throat> I'll say, I'll spend my time talking about my kind of one nit to pick with the episode. I think one of the coolest parts of the episode is actually the, the solution, the reveal. And mm. the majority of it happened off screen. Right, like all of the cool investigative investigative stuff that Kira does, that Cisco does, that they do on Deep Space Nine, doesn't happen on the episode. We just kind of get the like last mm -hmm. five percent of the story, the cool five percent. Off, you know, they have there's a couple of like quick dialogue sequences where they talk about it happening, but none of it gets presented. Now I kind of understand why they do that because they decided to focus on 
making the point of that he was already uh, uh, guilty, you know, and right. The, the, but the, speaking on Cardassian, but they spent a lot of time doing that, and they kind of rehashed a lot of the same beats over and over again. When the actual active, furtive, progressive stuff taking place, prog uh, plot progressive stuff taking place, yeah, right, right, was happening off camera. Now we are sort of. It, it didn't feel completely out of the blue. Because they, you know, they let us know about the Mueller thing three times. They let us know about the, oh, it wasn't his voice. But all of that happens after they've already figured it out, right? I would have been more interested in seeing them learn those things. But I get it, 45 minutes. I thought for sure this was going to be a two-parter, and one of the next week we'd find out what was happening. But I know that you've said we have big fish to fry next week. So uh, I just, I feel like I was left out a little bit of the story. Um, I felt like they could have let us in on some more of that. But I really enjoyed it, and I really thought Avery Brooks did a great job in his first time, his first turn behind the camera. I thought Colin Meany is, like, let's be honest, incredible. I thought that the aura was great, too. The, what, not the aura, the, um, the judge. Archon. The Archon was great. His defender was great. I thought the him and Odo stuff was great. So all in all, I really liked it. 88 self-sealing stimples. Huh. I'm gonna laugh. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I agree with you on. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of like, let's see Bashir discover that he's Cardassian. I'd love to see like the overlay of the, of the you know the the plastic surgery that happened and like oh see the bone architecture under the. They would have been a cool thing to show. Uh, I think you're right. Um, it would have been cool to see that. I think what they had here was. Too much for one episode, not enough for two. Mm -hmm. um, and and like, I think they easily could have done in you know give us an hour five as opposed to forty four, mm -hmm. and it would have really filled that out. But I don't. I think it was too thin for a two part episode. Um, so I, I I don't mind the way they did it. I mean, yes, I would have liked to have seen that, but we've done that before. Like we've we've done plenty of investigating stories and i think of the two learning more about the cardassian world and their judicial system was probably a little bit more interesting and a little bit more impactful to the rest of the world that we're building mm -hmm. and and you know i think this is this informs everything that we're going to see moving forward in terms we know more about the cardassian you know more about what are the motivations for each of these random Cardassians we see, I think this fills in some of the information about, you know, like when Dukat realized that the government had turned on him, you know, in, in Maquis part two, right. When they'd abandoned him and we had this amazing moment where we see on his face, that register. And this is us seeing what he was envisioning in his head, right. To go through this process and the sort of public humiliation as well as being executed, but like torture, humiliation, public shame, the entire planet watching your, that all of that would have ha happened to Dukat in this situation. And so I think it really fills in what was going on behind his eyes in that scene. And so I think in the bigger picture, I'd rather see that mm -hmm. than the investigation part, um, even though I would have liked to have seen it. So I think that's sort of where I'm at. Um, yeah. So I, you know, in in the in the grand scheme of things, yeah, it's an O'Brien must suffer. Uh, you know, we've, we're going to have plenty more of that, and I think it's an interesting episode. I think the performances are good. I think uh, Avery did a good job directing it. You know, it's not a legendary episode, 
but it's a very solid. Yeah, very and solid that's, that's the thing. It's like there's not a lot of holes you can punch in it. I no, mean, it doesn't jump off the tight. jump off the screen, but it's great. It's <clears> tight. <throat> it's clear. Um, it's it act. You know, it it's relevant to the world around it. Um, so I wrote down before you said it, eighty eight as well. We Nailed are it. exactly on board at the same time. So there it is. That's Tribunal. Next week is the season finale of Deep Space Nine, The Gem Hadar. That is the name of the season finale of Deep Space Nine. Buckle up, kids. We're going to grow some mushrooms. Yeah. It's going to be, uh, yeah. So I'm ex- I am I can't wait to talk about it. I've already started noting it because yeah, I, I saw that. I didn't wait. look. I didn't look at it. I, I literally could not wait, but we will be back next week as we begin that story. Uh, buckle up. If you enjoyed this particular nonsense, you can watch our other shows. Look at my Star Trek toys, K&M Geekly, the, the play along of the thing that the, we're going to get back to, I promise. Uh, and uh, what else do we do, Mike? Uh, we do all kinds of stuff. Uh, but more importantly, you can help support the show and support us making stuff. Patreon.com slash K and M. We thank everybody there. Also, quick shout out, Keith, as we mentioned earlier, on Etsy, the user ah. Movie Maniacs Design. Movie Maniacs Design. They do a whole bunch of like posters and cool stuff and uh, for from Trek and beyond. So check them out on Etsy. Uh, I love my poster, even though I have no idea what it's referring to, but I will in the you upcoming will. seasons. So I thank Movie Maniacs Design and all of our patrons. Well, shall we play it out, Keith? I think that's uh, that's it, kids. We'll see you back here next week with the season finale. Till then, this has been Keith and Mike. Watch Deep Space. Thank Nine. you for watching KNM Entertainment. If you enjoyed our particular brand of nonsense, please like and subscribe. Or become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash K&M.